Welcome to another episode of Practical Theology for Practically Everyone. In this podcast, we talk about big theological topics, but we also talk about how they apply to our lives because our faith should always be lived out. Our tagline is that theology matters to everyone because everyone matters to God. My name is Jeremy Smith, and I'm joined by my good friend, Morgan Morrow. And today we're going to be talking about, I think, a really important topic that maybe we don't talk a lot about in the church, and that's faith and doubt. Sometimes when we think about faith and doubt, we think of them as opposites. Like if you have doubt, you can't have faith. But maybe they're not the opposites that we thought they are. Maybe they kind of go together in some ways, actually. I think so. In our practical daily lives, I think faith and doubt are like breathing in and out. Uh, we're not just talking about people who doubt the existence of God. We're, we're, we're talking about faith and doubt to the most practical daily level of how we think and what we do. Yeah. So if you have doubt at any level, you're in good company. So do, do I. <laughs> so does Morgan. And we work through that. So we're going to talk all about that at a bunch of different levels. I, I do want to say that this podcast is sponsored by Crosspoint Church in Northwest Florida. If you want to check them out a little bit more, go to crosspoint.church. So here it is, Faith and Doubt. Hope you enjoy it. All right, Morgan, starting off another podcast. I've been enjoying this process that we've been going mm -hmm. through together. But today we're talking about something that uh, I think is increasingly important to talk about mm -hmm. in our culture. It's faith and doubt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> doubt is not something that we talk a ton about in the church. I think it's something we sort of shy away from, except we say like, don't have it or right. overcome it or right. something like that. But it's real. And I think it's something we ought to talk more about. Mm -hmm. well, I think people don't want to admit sometimes, maybe. Yeah, that, because... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, um, I remember when I was in college, I grew up in church, and not only did I not have any doubts about the existence of God, I didn't even have any doubts about the accuracy of my own denomination. I mean, I was just a kid who <laughs> believed what he was told. I remember and, when I was a kid, I were riding in the car, and I go, Mom, Southern Baptists, we have it completely right, don't we? <laughs> she was like, uh, well, she didn't answer me. <laughs> I never, I never asked that question because it, it never occurred to me to ask. I just knew we had it right. And I was in my teenage years before I realized that, um, you know, Christianity may be a little bit bigger than, than just my little church. But what happened to me is in college, uh, for the first time in my life, I was around really intelligent, just intelligentsia. Um, there were, their, their minds were just fascinating to me. Um, and my parents both went to college, but they were Baptists. They weren't like really, in, not, you know, not East Lamb on Baptist, but they, they didn't have, they didn't ask big questions of life. I'll put it that way. Okay. So these people just absolutely fascinated me, but they also absolutely attacked my faith. Hmm. And what wound up happening is for two years, I really struggled even with the idea of belief in God. I never told a soul. And honestly, this is, sounds kind of silly. It wasn't because I didn't want anybody to know that I was going through a dark spot. I didn't want to infect them. Mm. I didn't want them to to have the sense of loss like I had. I remember at one point when I was in college, I was uh, I was at the beach with my family, and I went down fishing at, at night by myself. I used to love to do surf casting at night. And I'd been down there for a couple hours by myself, and I remember dragging my foot in the sand and writing a prayer to God, wow. a huge prayer with 30-foot letters. I, mean, I can't remember exactly how I worded it, but I mean, I was in that state that my faith had been always that important to me. So when you take away something that is like at your core, and a lot of people just, they drop it kind of more 
just nonchalantly almost. To, to me, it was like losing a limb. Mm. But this is what I realized after it was all over. Um, up to that point in my life, I believed because um, the adults in my family and the people at my church told me what to believe, and I believed it. It wasn't really my faith. It was their faith. It was a child's faith. And after that experience, even though it was a very uncomfortable experience, I owned my faith. Mm. I understood why I believed what I believed. Mm. So when I ran into other young people, especially when I, when I first got into education, I ran into a lot of young people who were going through the same thing. I knew exactly what they were going through, and I knew exactly why I still owned my faith. So what it became was one of the biggest blessings of my life. Wow. And then for 30 years, I had, I don't remember a moment of doubt, not a single moment of doubt. And then in 2011, a tornado literally ripped my town of Tuscaloosa in half. And um, I remember during that time, it's hard to describe what happened, but there was kind of a, a logical reasoning process where that tornado to me suddenly seemed as random as a spring shower. Mm. Only instead of being a spring shower, it was a monster that killed 60 people, but it was still just random physics. And to me, for for about a month or two, I was haunted by the idea that, you know, maybe the secularist and the scientists or, or some scientists, not all, are right, that the universe is just random physics. It just happened. It even spins like a tornado. And so for a couple of months, that kind of bugged me until finally one day I, I, th- I thought to myself, what do I know is real? What do I really know is real? And I came up with something that just, this is my own heart. So, um, you know, other people come to conclusions very differently. But what I, the conclusion I came to that's really real is I love my wife and I love my son. It is as real as, it's not sentimental. It's not a Hallmark card or, or a chick flick movie. It is hardcore real. And then I thought, well, if the most real thing in my life is love, then maybe the most real thing anywhere is love. And for me, it was such an easy step right back into God's love. Yeah. And so that became really real to you in a new way. And that deepened my faith immediately because I went through, I think doubt is um, oftentimes um, a springboard for something great. And some people struggle with it for a long time. Uh, It it surprised a lot of people after Mother Teresa died that um, in her letters, she had struggled with doubt for years and years. And most of it was doubt that God was with her and loved her. But there were also times when she doubted his existence entirely. Wow. Uh, You know, there may be a simple logical answer for that. She was surrounded by the most depressing poverty on the planet every day for decades. And she she had a very sensitive, depressive personality. So that might have been a huge part of it. Um, But a lot of the great science, uh, great saints of, of the church uh, have struggled with this. Yeah, that's a great point. So it's not just something that people who are just coming to faith struggle with. It, it might be a part of kind of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's right. In some ways, it's like you're stronger at sometimes in your life and you're not quite as strong. Mm-hmm. Whether it's I'm doubting the existence of God because there's different levels of doubt or I'm doubting the goodness of God. Uh, mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis works right. through that, mm-hmm. some of that in his life. And maybe we can talk about that or I'm doubting um, the Bible mm-hmm. or I'm doubting my way of interpreting the Bible. Okay. That, yeah. That may not be a bad doubt. That may be just humility. Well, we could tell lots of doubt stories here. I, yeah. feel like I have some, I have one very similar to yours. Um, when I first came back to the faith, 
when I was 20 years old, uh, God radically changed my life in a car on the way mm-hmm. in between places on my way from Tuscaloosa to Texas. And it's the most real thing that's ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. And so my life was radically different. I changed. Uh, I felt like I was called into the ministry after a while of doing this. This is a whole story. Um, but when I, after a year, I came back to Tuscaloosa to go back to the University of Alabama. And I knew I wanted to go into ministry, but I'd already started this degree in marketing. So I, I decided I would get like a minor in religion from the University of Alabama, which mm-hmm. is not a real Christian, not at all a Christian <laughs> no. religious department. And But I knew that, and I went into it. There was a New Testament class that I was going to take, and it was interesting. The guy who taught it was a former Methodist pastor, actually. Mm-hmm. And I went in there. When I came back to the faith, I came back to a very, I came back to the faith I knew, mm-hmm. which was pretty fundamental, and which was like, I know the right answers. And that was very helpful for me at the beginning, although sometimes I was probably a jerk with that. Um, but it was super solid to come back to. Mm-hmm. So I go into this New Testament class and I'm thinking to myself, if this dude says anything wrong, I'm going to rip him up because <laughs> I know how to interpret the Bible. And the exact opposite happened. He ripped my faith yeah. to shreds. Yeah. He I, he was smarter than I was. Mm. And so he just took took me to task. And I, I would go talk to him in his office about all this stuff. And I was in ministry at this time. Yeah. And I basically came down to these things. These are the things that I never gave up believing. I doubted mm-hmm. everything else. I know there's a God. Mm-hmm. I know that Jesus really died for my sins and was raised from the dead mm-hmm. and that the Holy Spirit was active in my life and that God was good. Mm-hmm. That was it. And I knew those were real because of that experience in the car where he changed me. Mm-hmm. It, and I didn't know if Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. I didn't know basically anything else yeah. but those four things. And it rebuilt, I didn't know if the Bible was true. So it sort of rebuilt everything. I had to rebuild from there. And it was very, very freeing process. It was Mm -hmm. scary. It was chaotic in the moment of going through it. But as I began to come out of it, exact same thing happened to me that happened to you. Um, It was freeing and my faith really became my own. Yeah. And, um, And in some ways, I remember this feeling it felt like I got wings. <laughs> wow. Like I could, I was that free. Um, and it, I didn't have to defend. I'd spent so much time trying to defend God and defend the Bible. I didn't have to do that anymore. Like mm-hmm. God was a big boy. He could take care of himself. Mm-hmm. And I just needed to enjoy my relationship with him and tell other people about him. And I built back to the faith that I have right now. Um, but it was very helpful for me. Mm-hmm. And doubt can do that for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's scary though. Yes. That's an uncomfortable, um, I just got kind of a crisis to go through. It can't be, but it's helpful, but it's helpful. And I think this is where Christian community can become really important. And what, one of the things we need to understand about doubt and Christian community is don't bury it. Don't discourage it, mm-hmm. but guide through it. Mm-hmm. Actually, you came into my life around this time. I remember you going through that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we just need guides through it, but I think mm-hmm. doubt's real. I don't think we need to ignore it. I think we need to embrace it and lean into it and then see what God does. I think it's really interesting that you describe what happened in the car as ultimate, ultimately real. It's what you knew. Right. And I described the same thing in, with my wife and my son. It's mm-hmm. what we both knew was real. Here's the thing about that. Neither one of those are logical, you know, human reasoning. Mm-hmm. And it's because God is bigger 
than human logic. We'll never win an argument with an unbeliever using logic because he's bigger than human logic. Science assumes that there's nothing larger than human intellect, so we can figure anything out. I don't assume that. Yeah. <laughs> because if there is a God. If he, there is a God, then there's something bigger than anything that we can figure out. Hmm. So you have to have faith to believe in science and there's nothing bigger than the human mind or you have faith that something could be bigger than um, my little brain. Not all doubt involves the existence of God. Um, There are questions like, why do I believe in the existence of a personal God and not just a creator, a deistic kind of God? Or why do I believe in the divinity of Christ or his death and resurrection? Um, People have doubts and questions about why they believe in the authority of Scripture or, you know, all the way down even to there are plenty of, of really faithful believers who have no doubt that God answers prayer, but they doubt he answers their prayers. It has to be their pastor or somebody, some great prayer warrior. So the the levels of doubt and faith are are equal to the number of people that there are who have faith. Yeah, it's not just doubting the existence of God. I think that's really important um, to understand. There's always places in my life where God wants to work more and where I need to trust him more. And the reason I don't trust him is because at some level I have some doubt yeah. about whether or not he's really worthy of, or I'm scared to give it to him. But mm-hmm. that's that's a little bit of doubt too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I just recently, uh, six months ago, had an experience where I think I came closer to completely surrendering to trusting God more than I ever have at any point in my life. And that's an odd thing to say for somebody who, at 58 years old, 40 years ago, I just told you the story about writing a prayer in the beach. I mean, I've, I've been a believer or walking in or uh, this journey of belief for 40 years. And four decades later, I'm experiencing closest to the full surrender I've ever had. Um, so it's, it's very much a process. Yeah. You, you told me a story about a missionary who struggled with that, too. That's right. Frank Laubach. This is in the 19... 19- 30s, I think. Um, he was in the Philippines, and um, he took his wife and, and a few children to the Philippines, and, and the, they basically lived in a shack, and uh, he was learning the language so he could minister to these people, and his children started getting sick, and one of them actually passed away, and the others others were sick, and his wife said, you know, I'm, I'm taking them back to the United States where they there's no reason for this. They could get proper medical care there, so she left. So here he is in a uh, I think, from what I understand, basically not much more than a one-room shack without electricity in the Philippines for a long period of time. And he wrote in his journal, uh, I'm experiencing total surrender or experimenting in total surrender more than any other time in my life. And this is a guy who we just naturally assume, my goodness, he he took his family into mm-hmm. a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. Um, he's trusted God more than more than most believers. But yet in his journal, he's writing about, and he put everything in, he's put his prayer life, his everything into experiments. He was just kind of had a lively intellect, and he was experimenting with surrender and faith. It's kind of like um, in order to get to a new level of anything in your life, you have to push past the place that you're comfortable with. 
Yes. And that is a place of sort of chaos and a place kind of a doubt. I'm doubting if I'm going to push up new weight in a workout, I have a little bit of doubt about whether or not I can get it up. Mm -hmm. But the only way to overcome that doubt is to attempt it. And there's never a time when you're just, okay, I made it. Mm. Um, Jesus called John the Baptist the the greatest how did he phrase it? The greatest man born among women, uh, yeah, something like that. Something like that. Well, when when John the Baptist was still in the womb, his mom was carrying him, and, and Jesus' mom, Mary, walked into the room, John the Baptist literally kicked right. at, at the presence of his Savior. Um, so this is a spirit-filled guy since literally before he's born. At the end of his life, after proclaiming to everybody, and he's in prison because of it, that this is the Messiah we've been waiting for, he sent a message to Jesus and simply said one thing, are you the one? <laughs> so this guy, before he was born, was filled with the Spirit. But one of the last things he does is have a profound doubt. It's like, am I going to die for nothing here? I need to check this. <laughs> that's, that's a great point. Because what I think about when I think about that story is not only his doubt, but also Jesus' reaction to him. Mm-hmm. He did not condemn him. He did not say, he does say this to the disciples sometimes, like, why do you doubt? Why do you so, why do you have such little faith? And and I think that's where, uh, what a lot of us feel like is right. like, why do I still struggle with this kind of thing? But like you said, here's, it's Jesus's cousin. Number one, he knows that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's faced with this trial in his life. He's about to die and he's wondering these things about his life. And he, and he has this moment and Jesus only compliments him. He does, and he and he quotes Isaiah, I think, and he says, "Go back and tell him what you see. Yeah. See the blind, see the lame walk." The, and he names several things, but he left one out. That's in Isaiah, and that's the prisoners go free. Mm. John the Baptist was a prisoner, and he was he was about to be executed. <laughs> oh gosh, but I I think that's the way that God wants to respond to us in our doubt, mm-hmm. or God does respond to us in our doubt. It's not in condemnation. First off, he's already known about it from the very beginning of time. Mm-hmm. He he knows your doubts on whatever it is, the Bible, prayer, um, his existence. Mm-hmm. He knows your doubts. He's known about them from the very beginning of time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't surprise him. And he's not condemning you. What he wants to do is lead you through a process, not of proving himself right, but of growing you closer to him. And that's that's really the goal that I think we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. When we're when we're experimenting with doubt or when we have moments of doubt, um, I don't think there are moments of, they can be moments of crisis in our faith, but instead of going further away from God, what we do is we dive further into our faith. Right. We go closer to him. Yeah, and what you just said is very helpful to me that to remember that um, I may be surprised by things, but God is never surprised by anything. And my wife and I have talked about this often as we, as we get a little bit older and get a little bit more mature in Christ, what tends to happen is we, we basically, you know, it's smooth sailing and we hit a speed bump that challenges us. And we are rattled by that speed bump, but the more mature you get, the longer you walk in Christ, it's like the quicker you tend to recover. Well, if you see the speed bump coming, you could prepare for it, but you can't because we're just human and we still live in the world. It's just life. Um, so part of our progress, part of our maturing is... Um, overcoming it quickly mm-hmm. he saw it coming a billion years ago mm-hmm. that's helpful to me to know yeah that it's it's not a surprise to him right and then i can trust him in that's it. right that's right well it's like <laughs> when, when i when i think about faith and doubt in my own faith walk 
the scripture I always go back to is John six. I believe it's verses 66 through 67. So John six, six, six. But Jesus is just giving this hard teaching to all these disciples. He had lots and lots of people follow. It wasn't just 12 disciples. Mm. He had lots of people following him at this point, calling themselves disciples. At one point he sends out 72. Mm. So there, there's more that he knows personally. He gives this hard teaching about, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, that's too much. That's too far. Yeah. He's too weird. Whatever it is, they leave. Basically everybody leaves and he turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to leave me too? Mm-hmm. And then Peter says, where else are we yeah, going to go? Where will we go? That's what I feel like in my faith walk. And what's interesting is I feel more and more like that as I go further and further into it. Mm-hmm. I went from very, very sure <laughs> at mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. to then having this doubt and like the story I told a little bit earlier and then very, very sure. And then having, it's like this constant process, but I always come back to the moment in that car was the most real thing in my life. And where else am I going to go? Yeah. Peter said, you have the words of life mm. that I'm like trapped by Jesus in mm. the best way possible. I'm trapped by him. Every once in a while, I think to myself, I don't have to believe this. Mm-hmm. I don't have to try to live this way because mm-hmm. following Jesus is living life at a higher level than everybody else. Mm. And mm. I'm thinking, I don't have to live this way. I don't have to do this. And and then I think to myself, but if I didn't, I'd be the most miserable person there right, is. Right. I'm trapped in the best way possible. He's got me. It's too late for us. <laughs> in a very good way. In a very good way. Yeah. But that's, so I have felt a little bit confined by that at some points. But at the same time, I don't have to struggle against it. Right. Because that's it. I don't have anywhere else to go. Mm-hmm. He has That's the good. words of life. That's good. So if you're struggling with, if you're out there and you're struggling with your prayer life and doubt mm-hmm. about whether God hears your prayers or whether God's real or the Bible and whether or not it's, you know, something you can trust or um, what parts of it are literal or not literal or where God is in all of it or, and God didn't answer, God didn't, answer your prayer like you wanted him to whatever it is whatever you're struggling with as you go through that and you have doubt my encouragement is draw closer Mm -hmm. yeah let's let's just talk about plateaus for a second when we're talking about growth and faith the plateaus in our faith i had a, a friend um Probably in my adult life, the biggest influence in my life, Bick Moore, mm-hmm. um, just a wonderful mentor. He's passed away now, but um, Bick was just such a wise person. And one day we were talking, I was talking about the fact that I, I felt kind of stuck. I felt like I had plateaued and uh, just been in kind of the same place for a long time. And instead of asking me, you know, well, you know, are you in sin or so, you know, something like that, he's the first thing that a younger believer might think. He said, you know, I grew up on a farm. And uh, when I was a kid, we had a time that the country folks called laying by. And they said, there just wasn't a lot to do. That, you know, we weren't working a crop, the the seeds weren't in the ground yet. He said, you kind of just did things like make sure that the equipment was ready for when we plant again. And and he said, "Um, there's a lot of waiting in the Christian life. Mm -hmm. There's there's a lot of, there's a season for laying by. And so, um, you know, you do need, if you you feel like you've plateaued or, or, or your faith is kind of stuck, you do need to look for reasons why am I holding on to something that's holding me down? You know, those kind of things. 
But then uh, how long did Abraham and Sarah wait for that baby to come? A long time. And they were already old when they were given the promise. Yeah. How long did the did the Jews wait for the Messiah? Centuries. Yeah. So um, there's some value in waiting. There has to be because God sure does put us in that in that waiting place often. In fact, I think one of the reasons we end up in that waiting place or not feeling God or however you want to talk about that is um, to draw out our doubt, Mm. to draw out the things that we haven't really even explored in our faith walk um, that God wants to bring out. That's good. Um, One of the things I always say is if you can't feel God, there's lots of different reasons. Maybe you're in sin. uh, Maybe you're not spending time with him. But one of the reasons is this, and I think I've experienced this, um, that he's moved to another place. He's withdrawn his, his me feeling him sort of presence, whatever mm-hmm. that is. Right. <laughs> he's still there, yeah. but he's withdrawn that feeling to another place so that I'll go searching after him and find him in a new place. Well, he wants to make sure that you're not searching for devotional, warm, fuzzy feelings instead of him. And I think most believers get confused by that in the early stages that we can conf- we confuse us you know i felt the sense the presence of god when really what you sensed was just a warm fuzzy kind of emotional devotional kind of feeling which comes with the presence of god but um the presence of god is always with us and we don't always have those feelings so it's easy for us to get too dependent on our emotions and sometimes those waiting periods that draw out doubt teach us the difference between trust and emotions that's it. well okay now, you, now we're really beginning to get into the territory of doubt is a part of the Christian life. Yes. Because in order to understand an infinite God, God allows us to put him in a box. Mm. That's the only way we can understand him. Mm-hmm. And we're just understanding this little bitty part of him. Mm-hmm. And he, he allows himself to be known like that. Even in Jesus, in the flesh, we don't see the fullness of God. We just see the mo- most complete revelation of God we've ever seen. Right. <laughs> but so we, we see God, we know him in this box. We live there for a long time. We begin to plateau and then we get out. Then he moves to break us out of that box. So we go find him in another box. Mm-hmm. And basically our whole faith life is this series of going from one box to another. And it builds this bigger picture of who God is in our life. And sometimes the only way we get out of that box is doubt. That's it. And we, we have this image of God that we absolutely love because that's our image of God. Right. And that's all we know of him. And sometimes he destroys that image because that image would literally at some point come between us and him, himself. It's an idol. God. It becomes an idol. Yeah. It sure does. And it instead of, it inhibits growth. Yeah. So you have to kind of let God, you know, somebody said that uh, God destroys, he's the greatest iconoclast. He's the one that destroys the images of himself. Mm. more than anybody on earth because they keep us from getting closer and closer to him. Here's what I have noticed though in my walk with God. Every time he destroys one of those, it's not a real destruction. It's like he just moves me out of it. Right. He moves me out of it. And like I said, my picture of him grows. It's like those little pictures that are made up of other, those big pictures that are made up of other little pictures. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm constantly getting that bigger view of God. But this, and to me, this is like the sweetness of God is that when he moves me, I may go from one box and another box and another box. But oftentimes what happens is he brings me back to one of those previous boxes Mm -hmm. and I find him there again. It's still me, man. It's still me. (laughs) That's right. Because he's so good. 
He knows exactly what I need and when I need it. You know, I think of John, who is described as the one that Jesus loved. Uh, it's really funny to me that the place where we find that phrase is in the book of John. So John was, <laughs> John was writing about himself, which is really wonderful. That, And he was probably the youngest of the disciples. I don't know why they think that, but people, yeah. people who've studied more than me think that. Um, John had an experience at the, at the Last Supper where he literally laid his head on the shoulder of Christ on the shoulder of Jesus. Now that, that is between two young guys. Uh, maybe it was common back then, but that's, that's a pretty intimate moment to put your head on somebody's shoulder. But then in revelation, when John sees the resurrected Christ, he falls down as though dead. So Jesus is both of those. Mm. He is that really close best friend that, you know, loves you, but he's also the one that you could be so frightened by that you would just literally pass out as though dead. That's super good. Mm. He he he's the lion and the lamb. And don't you want all of him? Yes. Yes. Even if it would make you wet your pants and pass out. I mean, you you want all of God. That's a little bit of the frustrating thing about following Jesus, though, is I don't know that how often I get all of him, no, or no. can I even stand? It's going to take him. all of eternity. That's what's wonderful about it. Yeah. Mm. What we don't need to do, though, is is just have a hard white knuckle grip on exactly the way we believed it when we were 14. Um, because he may be trying to, I, I'm really glad I went through that difficult experience in college. I don't want to think like I did when I was 16 and just believe it because I was told to. Okay. So we've been talking a lot about faith and doubt. And how doubt is actually a part of the Christian walk um, and how God uses doubt to draw us closer into relationship with him. And that's really the goal in all of this. Um, but let me just say this as we as we sort of finish up here. Not everybody experiences doubt of the existence of God like right. we did. Mm -hmm. um, we both have those stories, but we both also marry people who don't ever doubt that. Mm hmm. And that's freeing in a lot of ways too. Mm -hmm. It's, and it's not that, and, and they know this, <laughs> it's not that we're smarter than them. We just think differently or we have different experiences in life and we have to be okay with that. That's okay for people to have different, everybody's faith walk is as unique as they are mm -hmm. and everybody knows God in a unique way. So I think that's something to just, you know, be aware of as well. Mm -hmm. Let's say your, your son or your daughter or someone, you know, your spouse, anyway, anyway, anyone, you know, who's struggling with doubt and you're trying to relate to them and it's just not working. Just understand that God, lo God loves them. Mm -hmm. God knows them and God's still working in their life. And know that you're not the Holy spirit, right? You can pray for them. And sometimes the best thing you can do is put them in the hands of God. I mean, you don't want to have the same conversation with them over and over. Exactly. And, and in fact, you, what you want to be doing is loving them like Jesus loved John the Baptist in his doubt. There's a scripture in uh, Jude that says, be merciful to those who doubt. Mm. That's God's view of us. And then there's another great story where a man looked at Jesus. He said, he said, I believe help me in my unbelief. That's the prayer. I prayed that many, many, many times. And I, I was praying to a God that, that I knew was there. It wasn't his existence that I doubted. It was just whatever the situation was. Um, there's a woman named Peggy Noonan who used to be a speechwriter for the White House for a couple of administrations, and she's a believer. And she said, on days that I doubt, I pray just as earnestly to the God I, 
a doubt as, mm. the, as when I believe he's there. <laughs> so I don't change anything about my day because I know it's just more or less a passing mood. Yeah, that's that's so good. And I think that's where I start, where a lot of people start when it comes, and I think where all of us should start when it comes to doubt is keep pressing into your spiritual disciplines. Mm-hmm. Keep pressing into your prayer. Um, even if you don't know if your prayers are, are going past the ceiling or however you want to talk about that, keep praying to that God because mm-hmm. that God is the one who's going to show you a new version of himself. And I think we can learn one thing from secular psychologists too, that when they talk about ruminating, we mm-hmm. get caught up in one thought and we just, we just stay, you know, with that thought. Um, if that happens to you, sometimes you're really spinning your wheels if right. you're just thinking the same thing over and over. And sometimes it's just very practical to just engage your mind in something else. Watch a football game. Do something that completely changes. Sometimes it is almost like a passing mood. Mm-hmm. Um, Dallas Willard said, if you're going to doubt your faith, then doubt your doubts. <laughs> doubt your faith, but doubt your doubts yeah, as well. Yeah, be honest. Yeah, be totally honest about it. Sure. Uh, and here's where... I wish the church did a better job. I think the church will actually start doing a better job with this going forward because of the next gener the next generation. I think it's I think it's already doing a better job. Right. It, we gotta be able to have these conversations in yeah. Christian community. Do not shut down. If we shut down these conversations, then people will fall away. Because you need other people around you to help you work through this. Right. Well, I learned before I went to college, before I went through that, that period that you don't ask hard questions. Don't even mm. ask that many questions, period. Mm. Um, for the, because that, that almost seemed like doubt. Mm. And some of the questions that I was asking as a kid was differences between denominations. And they, it was like, they didn't particularly even want to talk about that. Just, just run the play we call. <laughs> but God has given us all a brain. Yeah. So, and, we need to be. We ha- need to have open spaces to be able to talk about the things that are really impacting our our, our walk with God. Sure, I mean God didn't uh, reprimand Judah. I mean uh, Thomas. Right. He sh- he let him put his finger in his side. Mm, that's super good. And Thomas had a real experience of Jesus. Because yes. Of it. And just a couple of days before that, Thomas was the disciple who said, "If he's going to Jerusalem, let's go with him and die with him." Right. So he loved him. But he had doubt. That's right. And <laughs> well, that's who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? He saw him die, or he knew he was dead. Right. Um, and, but the, is this doubt when the when the when the guys that were walking to Emmaus with Jesus didn't recognize him? I don't. Think that's so. not. That's not really intellectual doubt. But it's getting close to we don't. We just don't see God when He's there. Mm. That goes back to something that we've talked about a little bit in in another podcast. Which is have an open mind, have an open mind and an open heart to what God wants to do. I love that in the Old Testament, they named a place and the name of the place literally meant God was in this place and I didn't know it. <laughs> that may be that may be a good name for our doubts once we pass through them. That's a great way to end. That's a great way to end. God is in this place and we didn't know it. And we look back on it later and we go, thank you, God, Amen. for that season. Well, that was a fun podcast to make for Morgan and myself because we love talking about things that maybe the church doesn't talk about all the time. And for sure, we don't talk about doubt a lot in the church, even though it's one of the most real things in almost all of our lives. So we hope you've enjoyed this conversation. 
hope God has spoken to you in some way through it. That's always our goal, to take big theological topics and hopefully at the end of it, apply it to our lives in some way because faith is always lived out. This has been Practical Theology for Practically Everyone. Remember that theology matters to everyone because everyone matters to God.